If somebody says, well, you know, you can actually use the Bible as a smorgasbord. You can pick and choose. And if you don't like Jonah's story, if you don't like Noah's story, if you don't like this story or that story, just dump it and go with what you like. Now, that immediately should put a a huge red flag in a person's mind. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome my dad, Dr. Michael Youssef, back to Candid Conversations. It's a privilege to work closely in ministry with him. He's written over 40 books, but the one we will talk about today may be the most important. It's called Saving Christianity. In it, he confronts the dangerous ideas that are destroying the church from within. This book is written to equip believers to identify and stand strong against the growing tide of false teaching in the church. Dad, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Well, we're talking about your new book, Saving Christianity. I think my first question is really, what was the sort of impetus to leading you to write this book? Well, saving Christianity with a question mark because 35 years ago, I read a book by a leader in the mainland denomination. And he basically, in the book, he denied the virgin birth, the divinity of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus. Everything that is the truth about the scripture, he denied it. And the title of his book basically is going to save Christianity. And that really triggered, in my mind, something. So you can see why this book is taking 35 years to write. It didn't just come overnight. But that was the beginning of it. And so I began to do the research. And as I went back to early heretics and early uh, people who have become apostates, like a guy named Fosdick in New York City and uh, in the 30s and, and many others, I began to look and realize that so many of those people who deny the Scripture, deny the gospel of Jesus Christ, water it down, modify it, and almost um, destroying it. That's the word I use. Every one of them says, well, we're just saving Christianity because Christianity as it is, as it is in the Scripture, is not being accepted by people. So in order to make it acceptable, what we do, we change it to suit people, to make it palatable to people. I remember this particular leader in that denomination, mainland denomination, said that he has a daughter who's a scientist, and when her atheist's scientist friends read that book, they said, oh, that's the kind of Christianity we can accept. What a gutless Christianity. You take a person, the heart out of a person and say, that's the person I accept, but he's dead. And that's what dead Christianity is palatable, acceptable to atheists and agnostics and non-believing people, a secular humanist and those who refuse to believe in the supernatural. And so I said, I am one day I'm going to write a book and say these people are not saving Christianity. They are destroying it. In some regards, at that point, it's not Christianity anymore. Right. 
It isn't. And I said this years and years ago when I used to be part of the mainline denomination. And I said, why don't you leave and start a new church? I mean, the atheists now have a church. There's a church for atheists, and they sing songs and have sermons. And yeah, it's mind-boggling. But that's fine. Because a church, really, the word church means the gathered together. Ecclesia. Ecclesia doesn't mean the called out, as some people say. They just kind of uh, try to use the Greek in a, in a faulty way of interpreting Greek language. But the word really means assembly, because the Ecclesia in the Greek New Testament, in the early church, it was called the Church of Jesus Christ, the Ecclesia of Jesus. But then the council, that is, the, uh, would be like our city council. When they gathered, they would call them the church or the ecclesia. So any gathering is ecclesia. Any gathering is a church. But what distinguishes the church, the church of Jesus Christ, from all the other assemblies is that the heart of our faith is the infallible Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, his virgin birth, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and soon to come back. That is the heart of Christianity. That's the heart of the gospel. The Old Testament said he's coming. The New Testament says he's here. And so it's one book. It's a united book. There is no division in it. And and therefore, I just wanted to communicate that message that the church of Jesus Christ cannot accept a watered-down, modified or changed gospel. They're not saving Christianity. They're creating a new religion. And might as well, if they're honest, say so. In the book, you talk about what you call progressive Christianity. I wonder if you can kind of define that for us so so we know what you're talking about. Sure. I think the term progressive is a political term, just like conservative and liberal. Uh, Right and left, these are all political terms. But unfortunately, they crept into the Christian vocabulary. And so when somebody says, are you conservative or are you a liberal? I said, well, I'm neither. I'm biblicist. Uh, I believe in the scripture. Uh, So in the same way, progressive is that we're not stuck in the past when the days when the Bible was written. We have progressed. We have come a long way. When Uh, A man, I one-on-one debate with him, leader of his own denomination many years ago. He actually said to me genuinely, and this man, I have no doubt, I never doubted his genuineness in talking to me. And he he said, Michael, I love you, and I really feel sorry for you. I said, well, tell me why you feel sorry for me. He said, you remind me of a person who enrolled in a college course, and uh, the curriculum has changed. But you don't know about the change in the curriculum. And he's still operating on the old curriculum. That's what he, he thinks that God has progressed since those days the Bible was written. And then we need to progress with him. I said, now, how do we know that God progressed? That's one question he couldn't answer. He said, just because he's now accepting homosexual. Now he's accepting. I said, because he has not rained sulfur and fire from heaven, That means he has accepted these things that the Bible made very clear. They are abomination. They are against the created order and all of that. And God progressed because he's being patient and he's waiting for people to repent. And that's their 
misunderstanding of the patience of God, and they think that God is the one behind all this. And that's the falsehood. This is the big whopper, <laughs> and is that you know that God is progressing, so we are progressive, and we're moving along, you know, forward, away from the Scripture, because those were all days. They're not relevant for today. And God is saying, hey, I grew up since that time. So it's the lack of, um, you know, sort of uh, prophetic voice or the, the rather the lack of uh, God's intervention that leads to the feeling of an affirmation of these yeah, things? Yeah, it's misunderstanding of the patience of God. It is total misunderstanding. In fact, that's why Paul warns in Romans, do not misinterpret his patience and think that, that he is powerless to do he's the day is going to come and i feel so bad for those people because when that day comes they're going to be in a world of hurt and shock and realization that they've been deceived but they of course bought into the deception and therefore they will accept responsibility what's at the root of the of the sort of the new social gospel the progressive christianity mm-hmm. man you see as I said, ever since the creation, who's going to be on that throne, God or man? What God says or what man says, that is really the bottom line. When you dig all the way down, it's like peeling an onion, and you get all the way down, is human pride. Human pride is what keeps people from coming to Christ. Human pride is what takes people away after knowing Christ, some of them turning their backs on Christ is pride, human pride. Is this me? Is it God? Who's going to be on that throne of my heart? In the book, you you name some names. Sure. Um, my question is, in your research, did you find that these people, are they coming out of a sort of solid Orthodox Christianity, or were they sort of steeped in these kind of ideas, meaning is it – are they a first generation carrying on, beginning a new movement or is it a – just a passing down of these thoughts? I actually show – I do show in the book that this is as old as the Garden of Eden. This idea of modifying the Word of God, of changing the Word of God, of watering it down, putting a little bit of the truth in it and then hide it in the middle of a whole lot of lies. It's not new. Adam and Eve, and who walked with God? Adam and Eve walked with God. I mean, what an incredible privilege. They literally can hear God and they speak to God. And yet, when they got deceived, Satan said, well, did really God mean that? Did you really understand it rightly? And, and he's the first one <laughs> to modify and watered down the Word of God and change it. And when they bought into that deception, of course, we know what happened. They were thrown out of the garden. And so from that time on, Satan has basically one mission, and that is to attack and hinder the Christian faith, the faith that is once delivered, as Jude, the brother of Jesus, said, that is unmolested, unchanged. He wants to change it, and he's been doing this from Adam and Eve throughout the Scripture. You can see in the Old Testament and how they forget so quickly, and they go to Baal because they, he convinced them that, yeah, well, you can have Yahweh. See, most people don't realize that in the Old Testament, 
the Israelites never ceased to worship Yahweh. They worshiped Yahweh on Saturday, but then for the rest of the week, the fertility gods, uh, Baal, Ashton, Ashtaroth, and so on. And so he got them to compromise again and again and again. It almost gets so overwhelming and boring in how many times God will call them back and call them back and call them back. And that continued in the Old Testament, started in the New Testament. During the lifetime of the Apostle Paul, when he is preaching the truth of the gospel, they were coming at him from every direction. The legalists and the Judaizers were trying to influence people. And then you got those heretics, uh, the ones he mentions by name in Second Timothy. Uh, Philetus is one of them. And, and, and he said, these people want to change the gospel. And he warns Timothy, don't fall for that. And so, as I said, this is as old as humanity itself, and yet as new and as modern as this day, in which names, of course, that I name in the book, not because I have any animus against these people. In fact, I pray for them. But because I want the remnant, those who are remaining in the faith, to be strengthened and also to be alert, to be discerning. Sometimes you sit in the pew and you hear something said, oh, that sounds good. But it may be totally heretical. I remember being in one of those churches many years ago and a lady coming out and saying, isn't that a wonderful message? I said, what? Wonderful. The guy just denied everything that's in the gospel. And that was my last time in that church and I walked out. And so I want people to be discerning. I want them to be alert. And if they hear something, they said, that doesn't really gel with what I read in the Word of God, that the problem is because we too lazy, all of us in many ways, we don't want to read the Word for ourselves. We want to educate ourselves. We just want to listen to Dr. Smelfungus and to this one and that one and just run with this one. And we build personality cults within Christianity, which is a sad indictment on our culture. If some of these leaders have a traditional Orthodox Christian background, Mm -hmm. what do you think are the steps that are leading them to – and you mentioned it. You give at least two examples in the book of of people who got really close to going that direction and then came back, but – but and some who just continued on down that path. Yeah. What what are the the sort of the little uh, small steps in the process that eventually lead to this? I tell you apostasy? what I personally think. Um, as I already said, this is as old as uh, Satan in the garden, trying to think that they're missing out on something. I think in many a church, when a pastor begins to start watering down, and they see some. A famous mega pastor on television who's got thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And he drew all of these people because he doesn't preach against sin and he doesn't preach about redemption and only preaches positive thinking or positive uh, mental attitude or this or that and the other thing. They said, ah, I can also have these thousands of people. So in other words, I can be popular. And then they... I mean, this is a satanic deception, and and they sell out their conviction for popularity. I understand it as a pastor. I, I understand the temptation. I have talked to enough pastors around the country as I speak to pastors' uh, conferences and pastors' uh, lunches and dinners. Uh, been doing this now for 25 years, and I have some who have come up to me when I 
basically my message is stay with the truth. The only person you need to be popular with and you need to please is the Lord. You don't need to please people and so on. And they will come to me and they said, you have no idea that, you know, the temptation is so great. I said, I understand it because, you know, I'm a pastor, so I know that. You're not immune. No, not from the temptation. It's, you know, God's grace is what keeps me from falling into that temptation. Is following Jesus all or nothing? Yes, <laughs> because when Jesus redeemed us, he gave everything. He did not give a token of himself. He did not give us a portion of himself. He gave his life. That's everything. And therefore, for those who are redeemed, and I'm not talking about the professing Christians or the church-going people who think they're Christians. I'm talking about those who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. They know deep down as they read the Scripture that it is a total commitment. It is not, well, I give you a portion, I give you a little bit, and then I keep all the rest to myself. No, no, no. He wants everything. Either you're all in or you're not. Uh, just as Jesus did not give us portion of himself, gave us his all. Now, it doesn't mean that every single day we don't fall in the temptation of not giving our all. I'm not saying that at all, because perfection is only in heaven. But at least deep down, it's the longing of our hearts to give all and present all. Like when God said to Abraham, take your beloved son, whom you love. I mean, he, he knew it's a miracle son, the, the son that, that, that is of promise. And he said, offer him to me. God didn't want Isaac. God did not even want him to offer Isaac. He, God was watching to see what Abraham is going to say. Well, you know, kind of, you gave him to me. I can't give him back to you. But Abraham said, as Hebrews tells us later, that he was expecting a miracle. He was just saying, going to be a resurrection from the dead. And so he basically, when he took Isaac up in Mount Moriah, he was saying, he's my all. And God honors that. Not that he wants it, but he honors that commitment and that desire. Yeah. And a few thousand years later, he another gave man his own would son. go up a hill and yeah. give his all. Yeah. Okay. So if these leaders who have become apostate, who have defected, um, if it's all about pride and popularity for them, what is it that the individual who is following their teachings, what is it that people are desiring? What are they looking for? Well, because the sinful heart is much more comfortable with a compromise than with purity. Uh, much more comfortable to, when they sin, go through the trouble of confessing and repenting. It's a sinful heart, it, and, and we all have that sinful heart. And so we take the easy way out. I want somebody to basically assure me that the sinful lifestyle I'm in is okay. Uh, or if I don't believe parts of the Scripture, I'm okay. Or if I disbelieve something, and that's all they're looking for, somebody who basically blesses and baptizes their rebellion against God's Word and their uh, dislike to what they see in God's Word. 
So who could be greater authority than somebody standing in the pulpit and said, oh, it's okay. This is the way God made you. That's all they're looking for. And yet, if they are really believers, if they're genuine believers, their conscience has got to be burning on the side of them, no matter who said it's okay. I have counseled people, particularly in the early days, who said, came and said to me, I said, you know, I went to this guy, this pastor, and he said, it's all right, and, but I can't sleep at night. I know this is not right. And I said, that's what the Holy Spirit is telling you. Don't worry about what the pastor said, especially if he is not a believing pastor. Go to a believing church. Go to a believing pastor. Don't hang around in a church where a pastor is watering down the gospel. Okay, give us some application. Um, we have a friend or a family member who's going down that path, who's right. beginning to listen to um, the pastor, teacher, leader who we know is preaching a false gospel. Right. How, how do we, in a loving way, mm. show them falsehood, show them truth, and uh, essentially unveil their eyes? Sure. The unveiling part is going to be God's work. It's got to be the job of the Holy Spirit. None of us can. But the Bible talks about restoring the fallen and Galatians and elsewhere, that it's, there is a blessing for a person. And so I normally would ask the person, I said, do you want me to tell you or give you or expound to you what the Word of God said, not what Reverend Smelfunga said? <laughs> I want to, do, do you want that? And if he says no, I don't, I'm not going to waste my time. Not because I, you know, my time is that valuable, but because I don't want to get into a debate and an argument with that person. If he wants, if you say, yes, I want to know what the truth is. I want to know what the Word of God is. And I open the Word of God and show them. And even after that, if they're still determined not to follow, that's going to be their decision. This their responsibility. I've done my part. But a lot of people get hung up and say, I've got to do it, I've got to do it. No, 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 we cannot do it. We can only offer to help, and if the offer of the help is rejected, then we basically washed our hands. It's like God said to Ezekiel. He said, if you tell people, warn them ahead of time, uh, then you are innocent, you're free. But if you see the danger and you don't warn them, then you have blood on your hands. And so that's where I take my clue from the Scripture. I would say, do you want me to show you? Do you want me to? Do you want to hear, you know, why this is an error? Do you want to hear why this is against biblical history and biblical theology? And if they say yes, and I'll take them through, and if the Holy Spirit opened their eyes, and I'll pray and with them, and then they really be restored to Christ, wow, heaven rejoices. But if they say no, then my hands are clean. And I know that in your heart of hearts, you, you will continue to pray for that person. Oh, absolutely. Praying, of... I tell people, particularly parents who have wayward children, prodigals, I said the one thing you must never, 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 never do is give up praying for them. You've got to pray for them, and you've got to pray for them every day. You've got to pray for them regularly. God is going to do his work at some point. But your task, especially if that child is not listening and doesn't want to listen to you and, 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 or listen to anybody else, 
So the only thing you have, which is the most important thing, the whole important thing is to pray for them and uh, never give up praying for them until either they go home or you go home. (laughs) We live in a day and an age where social media tends to dominate um, everything. How has it had an effect in this sphere of what we're talking about, in this sort of growth of uh, apostate teaching? And, and, and it seems there seems to be a proliferation of sure. it. Do you find that, that that social media world has created – it sort of created the, the frying pan, so to speak, and right. it's made it a bigger – Yes. Uh, there's no doubt about it that it's, uh, it's sort of uh, created a much wider – uh, audience. But social media is just like a knife. You can use a knife to cut bread and eat with it, or you can use a knife to knife somebody and kill somebody. And media, social media, radio, television, podcasts like this one, uh, there are bad use of the podcasts and bad use of the media and social media, and there's a good use of the media. And so as Satan uses it for evil, we need to be on our guard and we be ready to use it for good in order to influence people, help people, lead them to Christ, uh, cause them to return to Christ if they're backslidden. And so to me, yes, the platform got bigger, but nonetheless, like everything else, social media is neutral. It can be used for the evil and can be used for good. Someone may be sitting and listening and saying, okay, how do I determine who the false teachers are and who the right teachers are? Because a lot of the false teachers say a lot of the right things. And, you know, if you're a new Christian, you're not discerning, you're you're kind of caught in the wind and you don't know who to listen to because everybody's saying, well, listen to me, don't listen to them. Well, I often tell people, don't listen to me <laughs> and don't listen to them. Uh, the truth is, if you are a genuine person, you better listen to the Word of God, on only the Word of God. But also, as you pray, and the Holy Spirit is going to give you discernment, and when you hear something, you say, now, wait a minute, that doesn't gel with what I've read in the Scripture. If somebody says, well, you know, you can actually use the Bible as a smorgasbord. You can pick and choose. And if you don't like Jonah's story, if you don't like Noah's story, if you don't like this story or that story, just dump it and go with what you like. Now, that immediately should put a, a huge red flag in a person's mind. And there are other things in that book, the Saving Christianity, is a lot of things I mentioned, particularly at the end, and, and to help people be discerning. And, and, and so I, I hope that everybody will call and get that book. What do you say to the person who thinks Christians are just a bunch of grumps mm. who <laughs> um, are upset and angry about everything that is wrong in the world? Well, to be truthful, there are some Christians who <laughs> give that impression, and that's the sad part on the other extreme because while you know there is certain sorrow in our hearts over sin and what's happening to our culture and our society and our world. Now, on the other hand, uh, we are not going to be the judges. We will judge with Christ in one, one day, but for now, he's the one who's judging. 
And so they come across and they give the impression that they're angry people, they're angry at everybody, angry. No, we're not angry at all. And that's not our call to express anger. Our call is to express love and compassion, but absolute firmness and being immovable, to use the word the Apostle Paul used in 1 Corinthians 15, to be immovable when it comes to the basic truth of the gospel, to say, it is my longing and my desire for you to come and know Christ like I do, but if you refuse, it's going to be your decision. I am not going to stand in judgment. God will. The younger generation seems to be focused on change. Right. That's, a, that's a key word. Right. Uh, being the change, hoping for change, um, rather than knowing what actually causes genuine change, sure. which is the gospel. Yes. How can we educate the younger generations on change that is found only through Jesus Christ? Right. I'm not against change. Uh, I am the one, who, one, one of those people who believe that leaders uh, ought to be agents of change. But what's the change? Is change for change's sake or change for the good? Is it going to be good or is it going to be bad? And how do you say, how do you measure that? You go back to the scripture. The change that God brings in lives of people, we've seen around the world, we've seen through leading the way, and the kingdom sat. Terrorists, literally. I just saw a text that came to me through somebody else from the nephew of the founder of one of the largest terrorist groups in the world, in the Middle East. The nephew of the founder of terrorists. I mean, this is just mind-boggling. And it's the sweetest text. He said, I was watching Dr. Youssef, and, and he was saying this and saying this, and this man was just so encouraged because he gave his life to Christ. But he was in this terrorist family, and he came to Christ. And so that's a change that's worth talking about. That's a change that's worthy of the name. Change from evil to godliness, and then growing in Christ-likeness every day. That's a change. Now, we need to be changed every day. That is to grow more like Christ, not changed, just change laws or change society, because that, that's temporary at best. But the real change that's worthy of the name is when we go from one point of glory and to another, like the Scripture said, as growing in Christ-likeness. By the renewing of our minds. Yeah. The book is Saving Christianity. Uh, Dad, thank you for coming on to the program. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. By subscribing, you make sure you never miss an episode. It's delivered to you as soon as we release it. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Check our show notes for a link to get your copy of Saving Christianity. If you do it now, you will get a free digital download of Truth Tips. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode. Mm-hmm.